0: Do you have a bucket list? A bucket list, if this is a new phrase for you, uh, if you're young, like that's a boomer thing, okay? Do you have a bucket list? A bucket list is this idea that we have this list of experiences, achievements, all these things I want to have happen before I die, okay? So bucket list, do you have a bucket list? Some people literally put together a list of things that they will check down. There's a movie about this, if you've seen that. They check down the list to make sure by the time I die, I want to be able to do all these things. Now, there's a problem with bucket lists is you don't really think about your bucket list until you're too old to do some of the things on your bucket list, myself included. Uh, my bucket list, you know, I, had, I started like, okay, I just don't, I want to live life to the fullest. I don't want to miss anything. And so my bucket list, one of those things was to run a marathon and I did it. And then I'm like, I'm going to do it again and again. And now I'm so stupid, I'm probably going to die doing my thing on my bucket list. But you get the idea, right? I don't want to lay on my deathbed and say this, I wish I would have. Because at that point, it's too late. If you go to the point of, I wish I would have, it's done. And now your bucket list, people do huge sacrifices to be able to accomplish their bucket list. People will spend stupid amounts of money People will sacrifice huge things to be able to accomplish their bucket list to just say, I did it. So USA Today had a poll to find out what were some of the top bucket lists. And this one pertained to younger single people who have all their life to live before them. So if you have a bucket list, I want you to think about yours and, and kind of compare it to what some others are thinking about their bucket list, Okay. Number one, 83% of people say, number one bucket list is to fall in love. Fall in love. Everyone who's fallen in love, it's like, uh, I dropped a little lower. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Fall in love. That's number one. Uh, Number two, go on a wine tour in Napa. 53%. On a wine tour in Napa. Uh, If you've done that, hey, awesome. Number three, I want to change someone's life for the better. 52%, I'm going to change someone's life for the better. Uh, Number 47, which pertains to my marathon issues, get to my ideal weight. How many of you wish you could get to your ideal weight? So when you went to the doctor, the doctor didn't say, well, you could shed a few pounds. Um, All of us in our 40s are like, amen. Everyone in their 20s is like, what are you talking about? Look at me, right? Number five, go on a safari. 45% want to go on a safari sometime in their life. 45% say they want to ride in a hot air balloon. Hot air balloon. What goes up must come down. So I'm cool. I love this one. Number seven, see the northern lights. See the northern lights. Number eight, go to the Super Bowl. Go to the Super Bowl. If you're a Chicago fan, too bad. It's never going to happen. It's my time with the mic, right? (laughs) You may be able to do announcements and stuff, but now it's my time. (laughs) So you can go to the Super Bowl and watch the Packers. That's what you get to do. Uh, Number nine, swim with dolphins. Swim with dolphins. Number 10, and this is a very typical one, travel through Europe. Those are the top 10 from USA Today poll of what are some major accomplishments. Now, as we go on in life, that bucket list tends to change. We start to find new goals or things that we want to be a part of. But that's a pretty impressive list. I mean, you think about trying to knock one of those off, let's say every two years, that's 20 years. Well, maybe the fall in love one's a little easier, but let's say travel Europe, right? You start, you start putting your money and your resources and your time to think, I want to be able to go and travel throughout Europe. But let me change the mood a little bit. What if we take this bucket list in a different perspective? Let's take this, you are completely 100% healthy. Okay, 100% healthy, and this is what you hear. You have 24 hours to live, completely healthy. Your doctor says to you, you have have 24 hours to live. What would you do in your last moments on earth? How would you spend them? So think about from right now, I'm your doctor. You have 24 hours to live. At 1023, uh, tomorrow, you are going to be seeing God because you're no longer here. What do you want to do with your time? And so if a lot of us, I think, honestly, would say, "Okay, I'm going to gather all my friends and my family and all these people who are important to me. I want to spend every moment with people I care about. I think we'd all say, I've totally quit my job. I'm not going in on Monday, definitely not spending my time doing that, right? Uh, So we would quit our jobs. We would spend time with family. we spend time with friends. And then the question is, would you do anything on your bucket list? If you had your bucket list, now does swimming with dolphins sound that important? Or traveling to Napa? I mean, you can, right? You got 24 hours. Travel to Napa. I mean, you can get to Europe. You might see a little bit of Europe, but you could get to Europe. Um, Falling in love in 24 hours, I don't suggest it. (laughs) I guess it's possible. I wouldn't suggest it. Uh, There are, your ideal weight's not going to (laughs) happen. You are going to shift your mindset. 24 hours, you have only 24 hours. Your idea of what's important shifts. And perspective is weird like that, isn't it? Like Because we really believe we have all this time on earth. We do. We have this idea, and that's just the human condition, is that we have all this time, and so we want to do all these accomplishments, but we don't look at the fact that every second It's a gift. Every second is an opportunity because then if we think about it, if I have 24 hours to live, I start to look at all my assets. So would I spend all my money on myself or would I give it to charity? Would I set up my kids' college funds or would I go blow it on something ridiculous? Like I always wanted a Ferrari, so let's get it for 24 hours. Your whole mentality shifts when you start to think, I have a short time left. And that's where we're going to engage the passage today. We're going to engage the scriptures, where the scriptures are going to show us something unique. I love taking different perspectives of passages that maybe that you've heard before, and if you're new to the church world, this might be your first time hearing this. But our typical Easter celebrations, we talk about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and I'll explain what that means. In our passage here, Jesus is in his final, final moments. He has hours left to live. And he is very aware of this. So imagine this. If you knew you had hours left to live, what would you do and how would you spend it? Jesus has hours left. And I want to unpack with you how he's about to spend it. Uh, We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 to 42. If you have your Bible apps, your phones, your iPads, uh, those things, feel free to read along with that. We're in the NIV version. It'll also be on the screen behind me. Uh, Mark 14, 32 to 42, it says this. They went to a place called Gethsemane, uh, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, which means like daddy, father, he said everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. What would you say? Uh, Hey, Jesus, we're sleeping again, right? They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to him, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And as we keep reading, that's the time when Judas, one of his disciples, comes in with the soldiers and the passion has begun. So we begin our passage with Jesus heading in Gethsemane. This was outside the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Everybody is in the area for uh, the feast. They're there for Passover. Uh, Passover is a Jewish feast that was celebrated when we have the Last Supper. They're celebrating Passover. And this was a time when the Jewish people would celebrate when God delivered them from Egypt. Uh, For those of us who watch TV at Easter time, they always show the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, uh, and I believe it's ABC. It'll be on again. You should watch it. even though it's not accurate at all. It's still awesome, an old-timey movie. But uh, we see that, you know, let my people go. That is the story we're talking about. And so the Jewish people remember this story and never forget that God had passed over, the Spirit had passed over their homes if they had painted blood on the door frames of their homes. So otherwise, if they did not, all the firstborn sons were killed In there as a uh, retribution because of the evil that was happening in Egypt. So they passed over and they remember how God had saved them because the blood of the Lamb had saved them. So they celebrate this to never forget how God had saved them. And so they would have this huge, delicious Passover feast. Why they're sleeping is because they just ate this huge Passover feast. So if you go back, Jesus had just celebrated this. And at this time, uh, he says something that's absolutely shocking. So we're going to flash back. He's at the Passover and he says to his disciples, he takes bread, he breaks it at this feast and says, my body is going to be broken for you and I want you to eat bread to remember me. And they're like, okay. And so, you know, they're going around, right? And he takes the wine cup. He says, this is the covenant of my blood. My blood is going to be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this and remember Me. And so they're doing this at this feast and they have this lovely time together and they're all kind of like, what is going on? And at this feast, he says, actually, one of you are going to betray me. Can you imagine the drama that's starting to stir among the disciples? One of you are going to betray me. They're all pointing fingers at each other, right? And so this starts the whole process. And then so Jesus takes his disciples, Judas leaves, he takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane in the final hours of his life when all of this tension is happening and he prays. I just want to sit on that. I don't want to go past that too quickly because all of eternity is now hanging in the balance. He does not have a five-step plan and how to do this better. He is not trying to figure out, well, I've only got a few hours left. Man, I really, really wish I could go see Napa. He is processing his last hours on earth where the punishment of all of humanity is about to be put onto his back. And so the tension that is rising right now with Jesus is that this is going to be heaped onto his back and he is going to take it all, the wrath of God. Let me say that to you again. The wrath of God is coming on his son and he knows it. And the hours are starting to tick Away. And so Jesus now does something that I don't think, honestly, I would do. I'm just being honest with you. Maybe you're different. Um, I don't know if I, my first response would be to go to prayer. My first response would be to freak out. I would freak out. I would be super worried. I'd start to think, oh my gosh, my life would flash before my eyes. Did I do everything I wanted to do? Did I get my bucket list done? What about my kids? Who's going to take care of them? And I'm going to start freaking out. I'm going to go in all different directions. And I'm going to put that big W word out there that we all love to have. We're all going to worry. I'm going to worry about everything. I'm going to be so inside of my own. It's just me, right? Is it just me? Are we cool? Like, Are we cool? Because I know it's just not me, because I can see your face. I'm not going to say anything, Pastor, because I know you're looking at me. The lights are higher today. You can see me. I know it's you, too. I'm going to go internal inside of myself, and that's my natural gut response, is to try to cling to everything and say, I'm in control of this somehow, some way. And this is our master's response. He goes to his knees with all of the weight, to his knees, and opens his hands and starts to pray why do we freak out and stress out all the time? Better question, why did Jesus go to prayer? Why would he in the moment of all of eternity right here say the best, most awesome, the most right place, the only way I'm gonna have the strength is to go to my knees and I am going to start to pray. And as Jesus comes into this, we get a glimpse into his connection to the Father. The connection with the father is so intimate that there's no other place that he would want to be. So here's the pushing point of maybe a little bit where I'm gonna push you and I've got to push myself with all my worry. Perhaps our connection with the father isn't as close as we think. Because if we really were connected to God the way that we hope that we were, our first response is to our knees over and over and over again because we have nowhere else to go. And in life, it's kind of cool, because in life, the older we get, the more what we would call wisdom that we gain throughout life. We start to realize, oh, I don't know, I'm just starting to figure it out, and I'm realizing I'm not in control of things. Did anybody else figure this out yet? I can't control stuff. It's a really hard lesson to learn. If maybe if I try harder, I can control this. Perhaps if I work harder. All of us type A, take the mountain, work, work, work people in here. You think, if I just work harder, I can can get my way out of this. But we start to realize this in life. You can't, and you're not in control. And that's scary. When you come to that point of, I'm not in control, it's terrifying to realize, I'm really not in control. There is this fake belief that we're on the steering wheel, driving your life down the highway exactly the way you want it, because, sorry if you're a kindergarten teacher, forgive me, all of our kindergarten teachers lied to us you're so amazing. You can be anything you want to be. You've got your whole life in front of you. They give you all these American dream thoughts, which are really nice. And thank you so much for sharing that. But the, here's the truth. You are not in control of life. Only God is in control of your life. And when we start to open our hands and stop gripping everything with this tight grip of life, when we start to open our hands and we start to say, okay, God, I don't know what to do, but I trust you, guess what starts to happen? You start to pray more than you worry. Because I think our worry is really based in this concept. We're based in the concept of that I don't like what the outcome is going to be. I don't think Jesus liked the outcome that was coming. He was not excited to say, this is going to break me down The weight is on me. In fact, how do we know this? He was so distressed. Other uh, versions talk about he was sweating blood in other gospels. He is toiling and fighting and working with what is happening. And he says to his father, God, if there's any other way to get this done, can we do that one? Take this cup from me. God, please, if there's any other way, is there anything else Because think about this. He knew what was coming, which is terrifying. If I knew what was coming and that was my result, that I knew the punishment, the pain, the torture, the mocking, everything that we talk about in Holy Week was about to come, I don't know if I would have said, let's go with it. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you would. I don't know if you would. And maybe you would do it. Let's be honest. Maybe we do it for the people that we love. You'd say, I would totally die for my loved ones. I would totally die for my family and my friends. There's no way I'm dying for my enemies. There's no way I'm dying for my knucklehead neighbor who continually lets his dog use my beautiful Scott's lawn as a restroom. There's no way I'm dying for that guy. I I will die for the people I want to die for. I'm not dying for my enemies. And if you joined us last week or heard last week's message, We talked about Jesus entering in the triumphal entry and how they were laying down cloaks for him, calling him the king, and that they saw that the king was coming, but he wasn't the king that they wanted. The same ones that cried out, Hosanna, the same ones who called them here comes the king at the same time, are going to call out, crucify him in a matter of days from where we are today. And Jesus knew it. He knew these things and he's in the moment in which everything is starting to come together. And we ask the question, Jesus, you are unbelievable. How did you do that? How in that moment did you have the strength to go to your knees? And the biggest thing is this, my friends, and this is why we worry instead of pray, he trusts God's plan. Because at the end of the day, he says this, but not my my will, Father but your will be done. So think about this. You are a good father and your son, you know what's coming to your son or your good mother. You know what's coming to your daughter or son and you know these things are happening and he's watching, God is watching this play out and they, he's on his knees and he's saying, please help me. Is there anything else we can do? There's only one thing that we can do to save humanity. There is no other option. This has to be it. For life to be given, life must be taken. And it's only you, son. So if you want to save humanity, you're going to have to stay there. And you've got to go through with this. I can't even imagine what that would be like. And so Jesus starts to talk about this weight and this distress and this pain that's in his soul. And some theologians believe that Jesus was going back to Psalm 42. In Psalm 42, I want you to listen to this psalm because I think we can all relate to this. Some believe he was actually kind of quoting some of this or using this as a reference. Psalm 42, 1 to 11, listen to this and listen to what the psalmist is saying. We can, he can relate to where Jesus is at. It says this, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Pour your hope in me, God, for I will yet praise him, my savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you, from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, in the roar of your waterfalls, all the waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, have you forgotten me? Must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, and my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long. Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So if you feel today distressed, broken, weight, pain, anguish, I can't take another moment, there's too much on me, There's too much happening. Jason, you don't understand what's happening in my life right now. The weight of the world is so heavy on my shoulders. All of these things are happening. The brokenness of what's happening in my family, the brokenness of what's happening in my job, you don't understand the pain I'm in. I say to you, I don't necessarily understand, but we have a master who does, and that's Jesus. Because the weight of the universe was on his shoulders, And when Jesus has the weight of the universe on his shoulders and he says, it's not my will, but your will be done, does that not give us encouragement today from a scripture to say, Jesus, if you can do it, I'm going to try really hard to do it too. Because if you can say, your will, Lord, your will, God, but not my will, can we in these things, which we feel are so huge, in the light of eternity, are really small. It hurts in its weight for us, But at the end of the day, friends, we're still here. At the end of the day, friends, to my knowledge, of my guessing, we have 24 more hours to live. I don't know. I I would be shocked. But, you know, I'm shocked often. But we have time. The weight of the world of eternity is on Christ's shoulders, and he goes to his knees. And so in the same way, the psalmist is so broken, and there's enemies, and it feels like the world's crashing. He says, you know what?" I will still praise God. When I struggle, I tend not to praise God. When I go into dark times, I tend to turn in. I tend to turn into myself and I tend to get quiet and I tend to sulk. I don't sulk all the way on the outside. My wife might disagree. I don't sulk all the way on the outside. I sulk inside my heart and I'm frustrated. You know what I really really believe at the end of the day when things are hard is that I deserve better than this. Can you relate to that? Like, this shouldn't be happening to me. Why is this happening? I deserve better. I'm a better person than this. I work hard. My goodness gracious, I work for God. Don't you think I'd get a better lot in life? That's not how this works. And I think that's the part of Christianity and our faith that can be disappointing if we believe that. Because God never at one time said this isn't going to be hard. If he's willing to send his own son to the cross for the sake of humanity, why should we believe if we follow him and Jesus said, if you follow me, pick up your cross and follow me, then it's going to be a happy, happy, fun show. That's not what happens. Life is going to be hard. I would say life may even be harder, but here's the difference. We have hope, we have a purpose, and we have God's will that's the difference. And so through the brokenness and the pain and all the struggle, we go to our knees instead of worry. We go up to him instead of inside and say, God, I'm just going to trust you. And this is the part of the story that I want to express to people who maybe haven't had that much pain in their life yet, maybe small glimmers. Um, Again, something they should have told us in kindergarten. Kindergarten teachers, take notes, okay? (laughs) You're going to have to experience it before you're going to believe it. You're going to have to experience absolute brokenness and the lowliest of places until you come to a place of like, ah, I get it. Maybe I should have. Unfortunately, experiences shape the way that we start to rethink things, but our experiences do not trump the word of God. What will happen is your experience is going to take you in two places. Either you're going to say the word of God is correct or you're going to say, I don't believe this and the world is correct. Our experience and the pain now brings us closer to God like the psalmist or your experience in pain is going to say, I don't need God. Where is he? He doesn't even love me. There is no God. How can God let that happen? And you know what that conversation goes towards. But the God of the universe with his son sitting there, his soul downcast, his soul is disturbed. The hope is in him, in God. Author Alan Cole uh, makes this observation about Jesus when he is so broken in this garden. It says this, when he seems the most perplexed and the most hurting, he is most aware of God's ultimate plan and his plan of deliverance. When he is at his most broken place that we see in scriptures, we don't see uh, many. We see this broken place of just, broken, disturbed, downcast, we see this. He says, I am even more aware of what God has for me. That, my friends, is our master. That is Jesus Christ. Why should he be praised? Why do we sing songs? There are two quadrillion reasons why we should worship God, and let's just focus on one today. Once again, our master has showed us something amazing. In the darkest of nights Go to your knees and call to your Father because his will and his purpose is always good, always. But it doesn't equate your happiness. Happiness is this beautiful word in American culture that we believe that you all have ownership to. I want to be happy. I just want to have peace. I want what I want. And so you fill our worlds and with all of these items and things to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. We just want to be happy but if you understand happy, it's fleeting. Happiness is an emotion that comes and goes depending on the weather. I was not happy until the sun came out. Now I'm happy. I'm like, this is awesome. Yay, summer. Then it'll snow tomorrow and I'm mad again. But happiness is a emotion. Joy is a decision. Joy is something that even in the darkest, I turn to my God and though my heart is distressed, the psalmist says this. Listen to this verse again, verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. This isn't like he's fixed. He's not saying, oh, everything's good in life, and I'm happy, now I'll praise. My soul is so downcast. He says this, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Friends, this is hashtag goals. This is the place where we start to look at our spiritual life and ask questions Why is it so rocky? Why do you go in and out? Maybe we can start with one simple concept. When life is hard, where do you turn? When the world is on you, is this God thing legit? Because in the light of everything happening, God still went through with the plan. Because this now was the plan to save you. Without Jesus making this through, we're not even here. But I'm going to flash back. We're going to flash back. I like flashbacks. We're going to flash back to a teaching of Jesus in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus is teaching something to his disciples. I want you to listen to this. It's about a shepherd and sheep. Uh, back in that time, shepherding was a very large profession. It was a very lower class profession. It was not a hoity-toity thing to do. It's a very lowly, dirty job to tend sheep in their culture. And Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd over his sheep. And he's giving this beautiful analogy. Listen to this, John chapter 10, verses 14 to 18. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I have, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also, which by the way, is you, non-Jewish people. If you're Jewish, uh, you're in uh, Gentiles. He's bringing Gentiles into the story they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So Jesus is teaching and Jesus was a beautiful teacher with stories. He was a storyteller. And I'm sure there had to have been something visual about sheep somewhere, right? So if they're walking through and he starts saying, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and these are my sheep, and here's the thing, I'm going to love sheep that aren't part of my sheep, and I'm going to bring them all in. And what's something that's interesting about shepherds is that when wolves came in, uh, they didn't have uh, what everybody in Slinger has is some sort of high-powered rifle to kill this wolf, Right? So, they didn't have that. The shepherd would have to fend off and protect the sheep. And so, wolves would come in. They would take, they would, you know, scout around. Have you ever been around wolves? Wolves are scary, man. They're, they're nasty and they're big. Um, and so, wolves are coming in. They would take the weakest of the sheep. They'd take the small the weakest ones and they would take them off, obviously, for food. And so, the shepherd's job was to protect the sheep. And the shepherd, a good shepherd, would give his life for his sheep. A bad shepherd would put his hands in the air and go, ah, and run away. I'm scared of wolves. And he would be gone, right? So then the wolves like, sweet, we got buffet. And they would all come in and just crush the sheep. A good shepherd has his staff, and he has his sling, and he has his weapons to fend off attackers. And so Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd that's going to protect you, and I can lay down my life and I can take it back if I want. This is what my father told me. No one can take this from me. It's my choice. No one can take it from me. I am going to lay it down on my own accord. So now let's take this passage. Now we're going to flash forward to this garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says this, Father, if there's any way, if there's any way you can take this cup from me, I'm just going to, can you do it? Is there any way? Is there another way? My life, is mine to lay down. You've said this to me, Father, but you also said, I can take it back. So here, eternity is hanging in the balance. All of eternity is holding its breath in the Garden of Gethsemane, and we probably haven't even paused enough to recognize that. Because we move to Good Friday as we should, and we move to Easter as we definitely should. We're going to celebrate all these things in the next week. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is on his knees praying at the hardest time of his entire ministry that we have seen with eternity holding its breath, which is going to happen. And that Jesus is so in tune with his father. He says, it's not what I want to do. It's what you have. And I will listen and I will follow your plan because you're the good father and I need to be a good shepherd and I'm going to lay down my life for my sheep. And my sheep aren't just going to be for the nation of Israel. My sheep, I'm going to lay down my life for all of humanity, and I will be their shepherd, and I will give my life for them. But you can't, no one's taking it from me. Rome didn't take it from me. A cross didn't take it from me. Nobody took it from me. I went. I gave my life like a good shepherd would. All of eternity, hanging. In this moment, this is our shepherd. This is our master, and this is our God. In this garden, he calls to his disciples, and he says, guys, pray, pray. Start praying. These are his best friends. He's got hours to live. He's in the darkest moments of his life. And he goes, and he's in his prayer, and he turns into the balance. And he comes back, and all he hears is, <laughs> out cold. To be fair, they had a big meal. It's a heavy meal, right? They had eaten. It's late at night. It's in a garden. It's beautiful. We'll assume the stars are out. They're sitting there, and they start praying. And they start to doze off. And the Lord, with urgency, comes back. What are you doing? You need to pray that you are not going to fall into temptation. It is all going down. We've talked about this. You've heard about this. Start to pray. Like, okay, Jesus, we've got this. And they go back and he comes back and they don't even know what to say to him. Like, are you guys sleeping? Like, uh, no, I'm just resting my eyelids, right? (laughs) Every dad in here is like, no, I'm just totally resting my eyebrows. You know, like, no, they didn't know what to say. And so he wakes them up, start to pray. And he goes back to it again and they go down and they fall asleep again. Had they known that was Jesus' last hours, do you think they would have slept? So here's our story today, friends, because we can point at a lot of things. You know the story. You know life is not long. You know the story of Gethsemane. You know and have heard what Jesus did. Some of you have heard and know of what Jesus did on a cross when he died for all of us and died for all of our sins. You've heard that and know that. Some of you have heard and know that on Easter we celebrate Jesus is not dead In fact, he rose from the grave. God the Father has brought him and now he is alive and he is now the king. You know this, yet why do we sleep? In your spiritual lives, why do we sleep? When we know the answers, we know the stories, we've heard them, why do we sleep? When God is saying to you, all of your friends that you know that do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior are going to be separated from the God of love for eternity, And they are going to be in hell. Why are you sleeping? Why are you afraid to share your faith? I don't want to make people think I'm weird. All of eternity is hanging in the balance, and you sleep. I sleep. I go to bed at night, and I start to pray, and I doze off. I'm with friends I'm like, I just don't want to say anything today. I'm off, God. Today's my off day. Do I have to do church stuff? You guys can relate to this maybe? We know how this story, you just heard the story. And here is what I'm saying to us as a Mosaic family. It's time to wake up. Good Friday is coming, but Easter is coming too. And Good Friday leads us to Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the reason why we exist today. Because in the last hours of his life, the last moments, he didn't have a bucket list, he didn't do fun things with his disciples. In the last moments of his life, eternity is in a balance. Your eternal life is in the balance. He went to pray. He went to connect with his father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering. For service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.